0: This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Let me pray and we're going to jump right into verse 14 after setting the table for us this morning. Jesus, uh, Lord, would you please come to us and give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, hearts to experience you. Lord, as this portion of scripture, I believe it, it deals with the darkness of our unbelief, the depression and despair and weariness of life, the confusion and trouble of just experiencing a lot of bad In the world, as we try so hard to be good, yet life is just so difficult and troubling at times, Lord, would you please, through your mercy and compassion, would you give us grace and truth this morning into our darkness, into our despair, into our lives? Even for those who are experiencing victory, would you speak even to those people in this room? Lord, move amongst us today. Change our hearts. Change me. Allow me, please, to speak very clearly. Lord, use me in whatever way you possibly can this morning to preach this passage. Lord, encourage us in Christ's name. Amen. So if you haven't already done so, uh, land in Matthew 17 on your device or, or Bible that's nearby that you brought with you. And let's, let's work Matthew chapter 17 starting in verse 14. And when they came upon this crowd, all right, again, context, Mark chapter nine has a similar account of this same story. It's a parallel passage is how that's referred to. And uh, Mark nine tells us that the disciples, the other disciples, the nine disciples, outside of Peter, James, and John, the other nine were having a debate with uh, Pharisees. Actually, he says the word scribes there in Mark 9. The disciples and these scribes are debating on why they could not free this man's son from this demon. So Jesus comes down from transfiguration, Peter, James, and John walking with him, and they come upon nine disciples and these scribes and this crowd. It wasn't uh, an easy setting to walk in on after such an incredible victory up on the mountain, okay? And when, when they came to the crowd, A man came up to Jesus, came up to him, and kneeling, take note of of that word there, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Again, take note of that word, he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. So here we have a distraught father, and he's coming to Jesus. He's asking Jesus for mercy. Now, time and time again, it seems that when we see Jesus interact with with people, the people are hurting, and the people are asking for mercy. Perhaps that's where you are this morning in life, seeking mercy, some sort of relief from the situation that you found yourself in. This father here, he begs, he pleads on his knees in front of another man before a crowd. Clearly, he cared more about his son and his son's need for mercy than he did his own reputation and what the crowd and what others thought of him. He asked for mercy on his son who is suffering from violent seizures. Now this father would have most likely have to stay with his son 24/7. He wasn't safe in the water, he wasn't safe on land. He was either with him 24/7 or he had someone keeping eye on him 24/7. This would be intense. This would be an intense inconvenient burden to say the least. And we learn from Mark 9 that this demon not only gave the young man seizures, but it would also make him foam in his mouth while convulsing on the ground, grinding his teeth, and it, would make, it made him mute and deaf. And this went on from his early childhood. I imagine the sores on this young man from going from fire to spinning on the ground to going to the water, from being rescued from the water back into the fire foaming at the mouth, grinding the teeth, the anguish, the sores, the odor, the burden that would be on his family is hard to envision. The trouble of just living, trying to protect and, and mask and manage the pain of this young man would be hard to imagine. And then to add to that that they couldn't communicate with this Young man, being deaf and mute. Have you ever found yourself in a place or a season in life where you honestly don't know if the darkness will ever lift? You're seeking answers, you're seeking hope, you're seeking relief, you're looking for mercy, yet, everywhere you turn, it's as if the people, the friends, even the pastors are so limited in their capacity to help deliver you from your situation. You're a lot like your, this father going up asking people like the disciples to help and they're unable to deliver the demon. They're unable to help. You bring your problem to people, but they can't truly help. And you begin to wonder even if Jesus can handle your pain. If Jesus can handle the season in life that you found yourself in, where it's not even a season anymore, you've just resolved to suffer its permanent pain. You used to call it a season of suffering, but it's become so routine. It's become so normal. You forget teasing yourself with the idea of it ever leaving. You resonate, perhaps, with this burdened father where you're seeking out hope and you're not getting any relief. I know from hearing from some of you, even in this room, this is where some of you all land right now, this morning. Different situations, different scenarios, same troubled, dark, depressed, lonely heart. Look with me, And look at Jesus. Look at this portion of Scripture and see what Jesus does to help such a person. Just like yourself. Now we know back in our time in Matthew chapter 10, which probably was around nine months ago, that, that Jesus has already given his disciples the authority over demons and diseases. It says in Matthew 10:1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them authority over these unclean spirits to cast them out and gave them authority to heal every disease and every affliction. And, and victory is possible. We read about it in Luke chapter ten, verse seventeen, where he sends out seventy-two disciples, and they returned with joy, saying to Jesus, "Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name." So there's victory, there's power, there's authority. He has enabled them to be sent and to take care of people like this gentleman's son. Yet here's a problem. Here the disciples have seemingly met their match. So so what sort of demon is too strong here? What demon got the best of Jesus' boys? The demon of seizures? The demon of epilepsy? What we find here is the demon, so to speak, of disbelief, faithlessness in the power that, that Jesus promises is there. Or even better, faithlessness in the power of Jesus and his work. You know, in our time in Matthew, just recently, we've learned that he promised that the gates of hell would not be able to limit or stop the mission of God. Yet here, just days after speaking these words to his disciples, this demon has the disciples powerless. They're prevailing. Perhaps the disciples began to work in their flesh. Perhaps they take, take, have taken the, the power for granted or, or taken credit for the power. We're no longer doing it in his name, but doing it in their own name, in their own performance. Perhaps they're no longer seeing Jesus as the source of such power. Regardless, they are powerless before this particular demon. Powerless because of unbelief and faithlessness. As Jesus points out, as he goes straight to their heart and speaks truth in such a way that they cannot ignore him, and they cannot mistake what he's saying here. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Here perhaps we see a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. You know his eyes are set on the cross and yet his disciples, his followers are still not getting it. He's perhaps weary. Jesus is, is still bearing with them and he asks an honest question. How long am I to bear with you? How, how long am I to be patient with you? How long, literally, how long will it be before I come and no longer am patient with unbelief? When will my patience be dissolved? When will my bearing with you be removed? And when will justice against unbelief be set forth. You see, there will be a day when Jesus does return. The Bible teaches this very clearly. And all those who believe in him will be with him in paradise. And those who are unbelievers, they will no longer be shown patience and mercy, but they will suffer for their disbelief in him. There will be a day when he returns. There will be a day. Where his, where his patience and mercy is no longer there. Those friends of mine who are in this room who do not consider themselves Christians, my question for you is, what, what in the world are you doing with Jesus? Are you honestly taking him seriously? Are you spending time considering Jesus? Are you looking into Jesus? Are you Waiting to consider Jesus perhaps later in life when you get a, a more stable uh, life, a, new, a, a more consistent income, uh, maybe a spouse, or maybe children, or maybe grandchildren. When is it that you're going to begin taking him seriously? You know, life teaches us that that. Ex- the, uh, The experiences that we have with life tells us that life is over more quickly than what we ever dreamed it would be over. Life is shorter than we think. You know, this past week, I went to Charlotte, North Carolina to help. Well, we sold my grandfather's house that he's lived in since 1967. All right, it's 48 and a half years that he's lived in this house. And we were moving everything out and we were putting everything in my home, my brother's home, my sister's home, my parents' home, and then a small home that my grandparents are moving into. And you may think, man, he's had a full life. He's lived there for nearly 50 years. He's, he's, he's been alive for 87 years. But he said, you know, it feels like just yesterday we bought that house. It's been 50 years. But to him, he's just having a son, my father. To him, they were just moving in this new home. To him, they were thinking about the elementary school that my dad was going to be attending. I mean, literally, it was yesterday. My grandfather does not feel like he has lived a long, full life. It flies by. He feels like life is just getting started, and yet he's at the end of life. This is what life does to us it's over more quickly than we would ever dream. You see, the end of our life comes much more quickly than we would ever realize, than we would ever imagine. The Bible tells us that we will all, every single one of us, stand before Jesus as he sits as just judge. And if you appear before him in your unbelief, he will no longer bear with your faithlessness. He will no longer bear with your resistance to who he is. He will judge. Hear me here clearly. He will not always be patient and bear with those who do not believe. Please consider. I beg you to please consider Jesus much more than you are now. I beg you. Spend time looking at Jesus. Spend time studying Jesus. Look at verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Mark 9 records it like this. I think it's extremely important to our, to our work today in this text. And when the Spirit saw him, saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. When the demon sees Jesus, the demon trembles. And he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the Father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are, are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, oh, I believe. I believe, but help my unbelief. Such a remarkable, extraordinary, powerful prayer. Oh, I believe, but there are areas in my heart that doubt and struggle, and I do not believe. Help those areas in my life where I do not think that you're able, where I do not think that it's possible. I believe, help, please help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw That a crowd came running together and gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Never. You do not belong here. This one is mine. Do not touch him ever again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. All those years of suffering, all those years of treatment... All those years of pain management and grief and shame and disease and burden, not being welcomed into the temple, not being welcomed into, into normal uh, gathering of men as the father of a diseased child, you, were, you always felt this shame. All of a sudden now, he's changed. The son is changed instantly. He's healed instantly. Jesus has not met his match. He's yet to meet his match. And you and your situation is not the match for him that you think it is. He's still more powerful than what it is that you're facing. You're not an exception. The mercy, the compassion, the power of Jesus Christ that we see here, he's he's still bearing, even today, he's still bearing with you, my friends. Even now, He's bearing with you. He is still waiting to extend to you mercy and compassion and love and grace right now, today. Please cry out to Jesus, even if it comes out of a heart of disbelief, even if it comes out of a heart that's darkened, that's, that's, that's in a very lonely place. Cry out to Him from these dark areas of your of your deep, deep need. Cry out to him. Look in verse 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. And nothing Nothing will be impossible for you. The disciples lacked faith. In Hebrews 11, we learn that it's impossible to please God without faith. And the issue is that of small faith or little faith. It wasn't the issue of quantity as much as it was quality. It was poor quality. It was their own power. They were trusting in themselves. Perhaps they got too comfortable with the holy. Jesus wants them to see that genuine faith, though small, can accomplish extraordinary things. In John 15, 5, it tells us that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, do you know what it is? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why were we powerless? Why could we not do this? We were faced with this demon and we could do nothing clearly these disciples were performing without abiding in Christ clearly these disciples were performing without resting in Jesus without trusting in Jesus without hoping in Jesus they were performing without depending upon Jesus now our fa- our faith may be small but our faith and our hope and our trust is in our infinitely large God and there are gigantic results that are promised Now, Jesus isn't to be taken literally here. Otherwise, Mount Everest has never been moved, so there's been no faith. Or we would know that there was good faith because it would be moving locations all the time just by act of faith. So I don't think he's being literal here. He's using a figure of speech. He's using an illustration, a parable of sorts, to prove a point. The point being that if you have faith, though it be small, it can accomplish what is otherwise insurmountable, what is seemingly impossible. So mountain here is not figuratively speaking, it is not literally speaking, but figuratively speaking of a barrier, of a stronghold, of an obstacle that seems impossible to navigate around, impossible to make it through. I think of addiction. I think of despair. I think of anxiety. I think of disease. I think of people who find themselves in a rut of any sort that seems like they've just got a resolve to be this way, and life is just going to be this way, and there's a hopelessness that sets in. Jesus says, "Believe in me, and nothing will be impossible for you. There's nothing that is impossible to overcome if you believe in Jesus. There is nothing that is impossible to overcome if you believe in Jesus. There is always hope if there is a God to whom we can place our hope and faith in that is good for it. Without Jesus, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this doesn't mean, if you're squirming a little bit here with with how to justify this and reconcile this with life and with other doctrines of truth found in Scripture This doesn't mean that anything you want will be given to you whenever you want it. That's not the truth that's given here. Scripture teaches us that God is wiser and greater than our temporary fleeting desires. He's good to give us what we need when we need it and never to give us more than what we can bear, more than what we can handle. What we need then is to believe and have faith is in the God that is always giving us what is best, truly best, but it's not necessarily what we think is necessarily best, but he sees things, understands things, and sees how things unfold in a much larger picture. We may see it as something that's not good, but he sees there's a greater, more holistic good that's going to come about through it. A growing Christian is one who fights to believe the truth that's found in Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things or most things, but for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm reminded of this letter that, or this prayer that my grandpa He says this on the phone to me every time that we talk. So back in February of uh, 2010, on February 17th, he wrote this down for me so that I would have it. I'm glad I did because he can't write anymore at his age. But I asked him to write this because it's impacted me because he's prayed this ever since I can remember. He says, Lord, please give me the faith to believe everything that you want me to believe. And give me faith to move any mountains that get in the way of this. But most of all, Lord, give me faith to accept things that happen that I just don't understand. And still know that you love me and you will always do what is best for me. Here's how he knows this. Because you died for me. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Lord. Thank you for loving me. And thank you, Lord, for saving me. All the time, he prays this prayer, prays it with me before we go off the phone every single time we talk. My prayer is that we'll believe like this. And you may say, well, it's easy for him to pray that type of prayer. It's easy for him. I don't know if it's easy. He's been struggling for 10 years Loving his bride faithfully, his bride of 67 years, who for the last 10 years has Alzheimer's. Doesn't know who he is. The movie The Notebook is my grandpa's life all the time, except she never remembers. Never knows who he is. Treats him as a stranger. Has a fear in her eyes every time he walks in the room. Does not know the man. He understands that life hurts. And he doesn't understand why. Why? all the time, but he prays for faith to believe that even when he doesn't understand that he'll still believe God and still have faith that all things are working together for his best. Now, I don't say that to make a hero of my grandpa, though he is my hero. I say that for you to see that it's possible. It's possible for Jesus to work in your heart in such a way because he's worked it out in my grandpa and he is nothing fancy at all. He got saved late in life. But it's possible for Jesus to work in your heart as he has my grandfather's heart to produce such a faith that even when life hurts, even when life hurts bad, that you can still have a greater hope and you can still pray for faith even though you don't have it figured out. I pray that that's encouraging for us this morning. You know, these disciples, they still don't get it. They don't, after this, go raise the dead. They don't go run and, and, and try to find somebody who's oppressed and be like, let's do it this time or let's go to that mountain, you know? Like, let's, let's go see if this works. Let's, let's go use our mind powers to, to, to move that rock from that place to this. They don't go on a miracle spree. It actually says later that we read it here that they're distressed. And rather than Matthew, the author of this, telling us of all the signs that's being performed of the kingdom now that the disciples get it, he rather moves from there to the door of the kingdom, Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we all must walk through the gospel of Jesus Christ to have hope. Look in verse 22 as Jesus comforts the disciples with the gospel. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The son of man, speaking of himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly, note that word greatly, distressed. The disciples are distressed because they're having trouble looking forward to the cross and his death. They're having difficulty looking so forward that they're seeing the empty tomb. However, you and I are most fortunate here because we live post-cross. We live post-empty tomb. We know that the tomb is empty and Jesus isn't dead, yet they clearly are having trouble with this. Jesus giving his disciples the gospel tells me that we need the gospel, that the gospel is not just for unbelievers, that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for growing believers. Jesus continues to teach his men the gospel. He continues to pour the gospel truth into the hearts of his followers. He continues to do this. In chapter 16, verse 21, he tells them of the facts of the gospel and his finished work. In in chapter 17, verse 9, he's giving his disciples the facts of the gospel and his finished work. Here, yet again, Jesus is drilling the gospel deep into their souls. Because here is where their faith must be anchored. Here is where our faith must be anchored. Do not anchor your your faith in the signs of the kingdom or like what God can do for you, the miracles that he can perform, the deliverance that he can provide. But look and place your confidence more so in the door of the kingdom and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you according to the word of God. We need this gospel daily. My dear friends, please do not lose sight of Calvary and do not lose sight of the empty tomb. Never move too far from the cross that the cross doesn't move you. Fight the drift to assuming the gospel. Fight the drift of forgetting the gospel. This is the wheelhouse of the gospel. Jesus is going to be handed over. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to beat death. And Jesus is pouring this into his men. This is the good news that saves his men's hearts. This is the good news that saves your soul. This is the good news that continues to save our souls and it continues to change us and transform us into Christ-likeness. You don't ever outgrow your need for good news. You don't ever outgrow your need for the gospel. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. They're not the ones who need the Lord. We all need the Lord. We all need the gospel. We all need to be reminded constantly, continually of the good news of Jesus Christ. And my fear is in preaching this today, right now, in this moment, the preaching of the gospel and the feeding it to our souls, that we will drift to believing lies about our, about our God and about ourselves, and we'll experience self-righteousness and pride that is an abomination before God. My fear is that we'll, we'll drift and, and reduce Christian life to keeping a list or merely behaving in a good way or just beating out the other guy at being a better man or a better woman. My fear is that as I preach the gospel, we, we tune out. And we move on because we already know this. We've heard it before. We hear it every Sunday. By God's grace, we read it every day. We don't need it anymore. We know it. It's a dangerous, dangerous place. It's the place where the disciples were. Assuming the power of Jesus. fight to keep the good news of Jesus a big deal. You're about to hear the best news that's ever been spoken to the human ear. Ever. And yet it doesn't move us. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus enter into human history and be delivered into the hands of men, and suffer, and die, and beat death. Oh, I know that. Because we're dead in our sin. Our sin separates us from God, and we have made God our enemy by our sin. You see, God is holy, and God is just. And God being holy, and perfect, and just, he can't just be lax regarding our sin. He must punish sin. He must punish all of it. If God were to be lax regarding our sin and accept our sin, then he'd cease to be God because he would cease to be truly good and just. So he has to take action against all offense because Psalm 51 tells us, and a number of other scripture passages, Psalm 51 comes to my mind, that ultimately our sin is against God, even though we sin against one another, even our sins of against one another is sins ultimately against our creator. All of our sin is ultimately against him and stands between us and him, separating us from a relationship with him, and that is what we were created to experience. That's the thing that drives us, most of us in life. I've got to fill this void. I've got to find my niche. I feel incomplete. I don't feel good enough. Maybe this will complete me. Maybe this will bring me value and worth. And we go after all these other things. And what we're looking for is a real, vibrant, practically helpful relationship with our Creator. And if there's going to be any way, any possibility of reconciliation with God because our relationship has been broken because of our sin, if there's going to be any way, any possibility of reconciliation and forgiveness of our sins, it would only be if God would act and take the initiative Without God sending Jesus to us, mercifully intervening for us, we would have no hope. And we would be unable to bear the coming storm of God's judgment and wrath as he does return, as he does sit as judge. We would all be found guilty and full of sin. Unable to stand before him and have life. So there's no hope unless he would take this initiative And take action. But there's really no need or no warrant for him to do so. He doesn't owe it to us. But he loved the world. And he gave his only son to it. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. You see Jesus dying was our only hope that we would ever have. And Jesus knew he would suffer. He knew that he would die. He did not die as an accident. He's even telling it here before it happens. This is going to happen. He did this on purpose. And this is why he was telling his followers often, this is a part of the plan. This is what's going to happen. This is not an accident. Take hope in myself knowing the future, knowing what's going to happen. I'm telling you before it happens. I'm gonna beat death. I'm going to die, I'm going to beat death so that when you see it, take comfort that I am who I am and that I am the truth. You see, Jesus lived perfectly in his time here on earth. He never sinned, and in doing so, he stood as our our representative. He lived the perfect life for us because we can't live a perfect life. On top of this, him being our representative, he was our substitute as he suffered on the cross for the sins we did commit. So he lived a life as a representative. He died our death as our substitute so that we do not have to have a perfect life on our own, which is impossible, nor do we have to suffer death where we ourselves are owning up to what we have done and we're absorbing that punishment. You see, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. What Jesus was doing in his death on the cross was absorbing the wrath of God towards our sin. He was absorbing it. It's what the Bible considers in 1 John uh, the propitiation of our sins. It's where he stands on the cross there, hangs on the cross as a wrath sponge, and God the Father pours out this wrath upon Jesus, our, our precious sacrificial substitute, and he absorbs all of it. He takes the punishment for us. He didn't leave it up to you, to get off. He didn't leave it up to you to be good enough. He didn't didn't leave it up to someone else. He took the initiative and did it himself. He owned up for your mess. He took responsibility for you. And he did it so perfectly that you are now, by faith in his work, justified. Just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. You're now fit for heaven. Now Romans 8, 1 can be true for you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more shame. There's no more finger pointing because he owned all that for you. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is essentially saying, place your hope and your belief in my work and my power. May we do this. May we place our hope in Christ alone. Now, how do we respond to this today? I want to give us three ways to respond. Know, apply, and pray. First, that we would know our drifting towards disbelief. Know our drifting towards disbelief. Be aware of how we each drift towards doubt and disbelief. Every single one of us. No one in this room has perfect faith and perfect belief. We drift towards believing that the main issue is something else other than Jesus. We, we drift there. We, when we sin, it's always ultimately an issue of our heart not believing the gospel of Jesus. Every time you sin, ultimately, foundationally, it's because you're not believing the gospel. You're believing that you need something else in order to feel satisfied in life in some way getting even, buying new and impressive because your heart's just, there's nothing bad with new and impressive, but it is if you're trying to find value and worth in stuff, sin is always not believing the gospel. And so be aware that though you believed and totally depended on Jesus for everything, just a a few weeks ago, a few days ago, that your heart Will drift to not believing this. And, and it will drift to believing and hoping in a thousand other things in just a matter of a day and a half. Your heart drifts to this place. That means you can't just put it on steering lock. You can't put it on cruise control and sit back and take comfort in the fact that you believe now. Believe the gospel. Continue to believe the gospel. Fight. The drift of assuming the gospel and fight the drift of not depending upon Jesus every second. Secondly, apply the gospel to your disbelief. The disciples' faith and and hope and confidence, it's not found within themselves. It's not in trying harder to help the oppressed. Come on, get your act together. Try harder. It's not in finding a bigger tractor to move the mountain. That's not the point. The problem isn't solved by looking within or trying a different strategy. Our problem is solved by looking at the Messiah. Our problem is solved by looking at Jesus Christ, gazing at the finished work of Jesus, where I can now move forward in my faith. You will will only truly get out of the rut and the darkness and the despair that you're in when you apply the gospel salve to your heart, to your discouraged, unbelieving heart. And gazing at the cross and the empty tomb is how we plow through our disbelief and our despair. Jesus didn't say, try harder. He says to the disciples, have faith in my life and my death and my resurrection. It's as if Jesus is saying, see how hard I tried? Just look at how hard I worked so that you could rest from your working and striving and searching and seeking. Rest. Apply the gospel truth to your unbelief. What this is, is telling your hearts, telling your heart who you are now as a result of the finished work of Jesus. Applying the gospel to your disbelief is telling yourself the truth of what Jesus has done for you and what he says of you. It's fighting to believe and trust in who Jesus has made you as a result of him living and dying and beating death. Live from that new identity that he's granted for you. Live from it. Live from someone who's already been told you matter. Live live from Jesus and his finished work and belief in him live from God now telling you, you got it. You're important enough. I sent my son to die for you. Clearly, you're important. You're significant. Through faith in Jesus, we learn that we are perfectly loved by God regardless of how we may sin against him today. We've been covered by Jesus's blood. We've been forgiven. So now a result of our justification is when God sees us, he sees his son. And so though we are seen, we're seen through the son's blood. So it's covered. That's why there's no condemnation. There's no finger pointing because he sees us as his son. It's as if the Christian can live their life hearing all day long. That's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased that's my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. It's living every day hearing that because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And third, I have for us today, pray. So know you're drifting towards disbelief. Apply the gospel to your unbelief and disbelief. And then third, pray for faith and belief in our great savior. Ask God for faith Cry out to him as the young man's father did. I believe, help my unbelief. See Jesus as the one who all demons tremble before. They can't be chill in front of Jesus. That's the real Jesus. That's the Jesus that our hope is placed in. Hear and picture Jesus saying this to your situation. You deaf, you mute spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Look at the power of Jesus. Look at the poise of Jesus. If you can, nothing's impossible. Look at Jesus here in this story and let that speak into your darkness and despair. Spirit of darkness, I command you. Spirit of depression, I command you. Spirit of despair, if you can. If I can... This isn't too hard for Jesus. Pray for faith that Jesus can. Even though you may feel like the, the enemy is getting the best of you, that the darkness is getting the best of you, even though you feel like they've won and it's getting at you, that the fear, the addiction, the anxiety, the depression, the suffering, the anger, the bitterness, the regret, the shame, man, it's all just taking its toll on you and it's, it's enough. And I, I just can't get out of this place. And look at what happens in a similar situation. The father comes with his son saying, "It's not going to change. Your disciples couldn't change it. Your pastor couldn't change it. Your friends couldn't change it. Can you change it? Is there any hope? Look at what happens. The demon convulsed him terribly, but he comes out, and he was like a corpse. everything. Everyone thought he was dead. It is hopeless. Regret has taken over. Suffering is taking over. Depression, despair, anxiety, and fear, it's taken over. It's as if I'm dead. But here's Jesus. Have faith in what Jesus does. He takes that situation by the hand and lifts him up, and he arose, and he was healed instantly. Pray for faith in Jesus, the real Jesus, that he can do that to your situation. That he has the power to deliver. Pray for faith to see that Jesus is victorious in all things. Pray for faith to, to believe that Jesus cares about you and your dark season of life. Pray to Jesus, asking him to help you in your disbelief of him. Pray to Jesus, asking him to respond now to your need. Pray it. Pray for deliverance. Pray that he works out what he needs to through this, but pray that he delivers you from it. Pray for faith that he can act and deliver you today. He can. The amount of faith is not what's most important. Even the smallest amount of faith will do. What matters is the God in whom that faith is placed, which can achieve the impossible. Moving a mountain... Tim Keller says this, faith is transferring your trust from your own efforts to the efforts of Christ. You were relying on other things to make you acceptable, but now you consciously begin relying on what Jesus did for your acceptance before God. All you need is nothing. If you think that God owes me something or or you something for all your efforts, you're still on the outside of disbelief. All you need is nothing to walk through the door of the kingdom. Trust in Christ, and he will save you. He'll make you new. He'll make you whole. Trust in Jesus, and he will save you. Jesus preached this to his men over and over and over and over again. They were stuck on Good Friday, and they could not get their eyes on to Easter Monday. My friends... Please trust Jesus. He erases your sin and he pardons you. He makes you new. He makes you fit for heaven. He reconciles you to the Father. Is there any reason that you can think of right now not to trust Jesus? Is there something that's better to exercise faith in? The the old dead pastor Charles Spurgeon said, So long as you are outside of hell, Jesus is able to save you and he will. He is a merciful Savior. Call out to Jesus today. Talk to the friends that, that came along with you or that you might know here. Talk to me and let's celebrate what Jesus is doing in your heart today. You know, the, the night before Jesus died, he had a time where he met with his disciples in the, in the private upper room And uh, it's where we have communion taken from. He talked of this very thing of taking his life and giving it for our forgiveness and our hope. He poured out this wine, which represented his blood that he was pouring out. And he gave bread, which was a picture, a symbol of his body that he was giving. It's a picture of his life and his death, the bread and the wine. And he said that if we, when we take this, to remember him and remember his finished work for us. So I, I open to you, those who are believers, I open to you the opportunity to take this communion meal here at the Axis this morning. We're gonna have servers on each side and they're gonna have a tray of broken pieces of bread representing the body of Christ and they're gonna have juice or wine based on your age or conscience that you take it and you dip it in As Pastor Jacob's been talking about the last few Sundays, watch that piece of of bread as you placed it into that cup. Watch it absorb. Watch it absorb that blood and let that be a symbol of the true pouring out of Christ and his blood and his suffering that was for you, knowing that there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no hope of reconciliation without the shedding of blood. And Jesus did that for us. So we take comfort in the finished work of Jesus today. Let's believe him. Let's let's pray through some of these things even before perhaps we take communion today. But it's offered for us, for those who are in Christ. And if you find yourself as an unbeliever this morning, I ask you to refrain from taking communion, but I ask you to take Jesus. I ask you to take him seriously and I ask you to pray out to him for faith to believe him. Let me pray for our time now as our servers come. Jesus, Lord, uh, be with this time of reflection. Be with this time of response. Lord, be with this time of communion. Lord, where we search through our hearts and and, and we, we pray from some of the doubting and, Lord, some of the discouragement we give these things to you. Lord, we we need your help in our disbelief and our faithlessness. We need you to work in our hearts in such a way that we are freed from such despair and darkness. Lord, you speak truth into those places this morning, into the hurting. Lord, would would we cry out like the father of the, the hurting son? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, would we not assume the gospel and, and make it routine? And would we not make communion routine or assumed? Lord, let this hit us like it hit the disciples. Lord, when you spoke of your death, they were moved. They were distressed. It's real. Lord, would we experience emotion of awe and? over the fact that you died for us. Lord, let us experience joy that you did this for us. Lord, let us remember what you've accomplished for us. Lord, please bless this time of communion with your people. Lord, change our hearts. Make us more like you. In Christ's name, amen.